Let's look at Daniel chapter 12. I know God speaks it to us. Uh, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thanks for your living word that you speak by your spirit. Please do work through him. Uh, please do uh, tune our thoughts, uh, conscience, will, passions uh, to the things that you reveal to us. Uh, please shape us. Uh, please shape the way we live as we respond to you in Jesus. Amen. Just recently, Brisbane City Council updated their flood awareness maps. The map tells the possibilities from highly likely to very unlikely, uh, from the 1 in 20 chance to the 1 in 2,000 chance of a flood in any particular year. For most of us, our first thought is of ourselves, where are we on that map? Uh, But also friends and family and strangers, particularly in this year when, yet again, we're expecting a very wet summer. Uh, Matt mentioned the other night uh, that his parents uh, spent uh, some of their time uh, back in Australia from overseas, uh, moving stuff they had stored at their place in Jindalee uh, to higher ground with relatives. Uh, They've prepared for what might happen that's uh, a wise thing to do. <laughs> and uh, the predictions in Daniel that we've been reading um, are things that speak of, they're spoken so we can prepare, so we can act in the light of what we know. They're predictions, but they're not predictions of possibilities or that are spoken in probabilities. They reveal, well, God reveals what will be. I've seen this prove true in the things that happened during Daniel's lifetime. I've seen uh, his God's word prove true in things that happened in the centuries after Daniel spoke. Uh, the rise and fall of nations and Tigers Epiphanies and those sorts of things. God reveals what is now and what will certainly happen in the future. He reveals it so that we can prepare for what will happen He reveals it so we can prepare and stay prepared ourselves. And he reveals it so that we can urge friends and family and strangers to make the same preparations. We're looking at this final section of Daniel's final vision, uh, that vision that stretches from chapter 10 uh, through to chapter 12. Uh, Chapter 10, the invisible spiritual conflict. Chapter 11, God's rule through history. And now chapter 12 uh, looks forward to the end of history and shows us God's rule in the end. Chapter 12 begins with the words, at that time. At the time that the end of chapter 11 talks about. Last week I suggested that the last 10 verses of chapter 11 are a caricature of Antiochus Epiphanes. They point to him about what he's like, but not just to him. They point to all the other anti-God and anti-Christ rulers through century after century after century, uh, between Antiochus and the end of time. They anticipate generation after generation after generation of anti-God and anti-Christ rulers, including the ones at the very end. There are other places in the Bible where we see this sort of thing going on, uh, where uh, what is said anticipates more than one fulfillment, layer after layer after layer of fulfillment. One helpful way to think about this is to imagine that you're going for a walk and there's a mountain up ahead of you. 
As you walk towards it, you see one mountain. As you walk and you climb, you get up the mountain, you get to the top and you see there's another mountain. So down you go and then up. Ah, there's two or three further mountains up ahead. At the beginning of the walk, it looked like there was one mountain, but actually there's a long line of them stretching out into the future. So here at the end of chapter 11, as it describes an anti-God, an anti-Christ ruler, after ruler, after ruler on the timeline, stretching out into the future, looking forward, it looks like just one. But Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, rushes past all of them. Uh, rushes past to the very end, to the last one. Chapter 12, verse 1, the angel who's been speaking about the anti-God ruler says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. The time is the time when the anti-God ruler is doing his worst against God's people and he comes to his end. Then there will be a time of trouble such as never has been uh, since the nation, there was a nation until that time. Worst time, but definitely not an abandoned by God time. Because the great prince Michael will protect God's people. He will stand to protect God's people. God who worked through Michael to help this angel who is speaking this vision to come to Daniel and speak it, will work through Michael to bring his good plans and purposes uh, into effect to protect his people while they wait for the end time. God's people wait through the worst time. Uh, it's, here it's the absolute low point. Uh, worse than years of captivity in Egypt, Worse than defeat by Assyria, defeat by Babylon. Worse than the abomination that makes desolate under Antiochus Epiphanes, who desecrated the Jerusalem temple. Waiting in utter helplessness, they may not be delivered from the agony of unjust trial or from torture and death, but they can look with confidence to God who will step in. They can look with confidence to God who will deliver. You see that in the second half of verse 1? But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. See, though it is the worst of time, none is lost. All are delivered. Not every person on earth, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. All of God's people will be delivered. So how are they delivered? Well, verse 2 helps us see. Uh, They're not delivered from death because verse 2 says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, uh, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Death will be undone. The dead rot, but that is not the end of them. Humans who God made uh, from the dust of the earth return to dust, but the return to dust is temporary. Death is temporary. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. A day is coming when death will be undone, when every human who has ever lived and died 
will rise. That's good news. It's good news, but as we just read, it's not good news for everyone. Everyone's death will be undone, but not everyone's judgment. Verse 2, many of those who uh, sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. For some, the resurrection is a dreadful thing. There's no hint of annihilation here. No hint of an early end for those who reject God. Jesus describes this future as hell, as eternal fire. It's important to know God does not delight in it, but neither is God embarrassed by it. He holds it out as perfect justice, neither more nor less than is deserved. The living and true God who knows everything and is perfectly holy and perfectly just will do right. He will not condemn anyone for something they did not choose or did not know. He knows the circumstances of every choice. He knows what was the result of outside pressure and what was the result of internal desire and decision and how those interact. His justice is fair, perfectly fair. And it is dreadful. The Bible insists that you and I deserve it. God gave us what we deserve. He would give us shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible insists you and I deserve it. And it keeps showing us the alternative and saying, choose life. Choose this one, choose life. Verse 2, some awake to everlasting life. Verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the glorious future for those who look to God for deliverance. He will deliver. I mentioned Jesus uh, teaching about hell. Jesus didn't just teach about it, he faced it. The Bible is absolutely clear that there is no deliverance from judgment without sacrifice. And the only sufficient sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He took the shame and contempt we deserve so that we could be delivered from it and given instead a glorious and an eternal inheritance. And so the eternal future for those who trust him is glorious. The angel finishes his speech by shifting attention back uh, from, from the end time to the time Daniel received the vision. Verse 4 he says, But you, Daniel, uh, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to or fro, uh, and knowledge shall increase. Now those who run to and fro with their in- knowledge increasing, I think it's, it's a picture of those who are looking for knowledge in all the, all the wrong places. Like the Chaldeans who were teaching uh, Daniel back in chapter 1. Lots of knowledge, lots of knowledge, but it's all the wrong knowledge. They knew things, they found new things to know, but their knowledge fails. Just, just kept seeing their knowledge fail over and over in those early chapters. So what about the bit where Daniel is told to shut up and seal the knowledge he's been given? I think as I hear it, my, my initial reaction was to think it's shut up and sealed and inaccessible. But I think that's wrong. 
I think the idea is that it's sailed because it's finished. In chapter 10, we're told why Daniel is given this vision. It's because he prayed for understanding. Daniel now understands more of what he saw in chapter 8, which is what he longed to understand more clearly. And so it's time, he's been told, it's time now to sail, to close, to finalize. It's like God saying, that's it, press print. There's no more coming. Uh, This is the final thing. It's not wrapped up, sailed away, hidden, inaccessible. It's printed, published, complete, available. Well, we've got it. Daniel understood what he was told to do by writing it and publishing it. The end time will come. In the meantime, we have these words about God's rule in the end. And knowing what he will do shapes wisdom in the meantime. It shapes wisdom in the meantime. The rest of the chapter brings our our attention back to that life while we wait. Uh, Life waiting for the end, life in the meantime. Uh, Verse 5, we see two others standing on each side of the stream, which is where the vision started back in chapter 10. Uh, Daniel beside the Tigris, uh, the Tigris River in Babylon. And so between those two people on each side of the stream, uh, there's a man clothed in in, uh, linen. I think this is another angel or the same angel. Uh, Verse 6, someone says says to the one above the waters, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? You hear what he's asking? How long till the end of these things we've just heard about? How long until all the things described in chapter 11 and 12 roll out? How long until all the kingdoms have risen and fallen? Uh, How how long until the end of the anti-God rulers? How, How long will the time of trouble stretch out? How long until the time of the ends? How long until the day when those who sleep in the dust of the earth awake? Before the angel answers, he raises his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. Think about it. You know the way in courtroom scenes, often someone raises their hand to swear an oath. That's something that's got Bible background. Here's this guy saying, I'm going to swear an oath. Actually, I'm going to swear a really serious oath. You can take this really seriously. And he swears. Uh, he, 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 he gives the oath um, by, by the name of, by God who lives forever. Uh, the suffering and trouble followed by deliverance and rescue will stretch out, end of verse 7, for a time, times, and half a time. Now, people do all sorts of g- gymnastics in, in hearing that time, times, and half a time to work out What date should we put in our calendar to expect it? But it's not an answer that allows us to mark a date on a calendar. It's not for that. Time, times, and half a time. It may be that we should understand it as time. It's a period of time. Uh, Times, it's more time than we expected. Uh, Half a time, it's time that will be cut short. Uh, Or another way of thinking about it is maybe he's saying it's one time plus two times plus another half time. It's three and a half times, which is, uh, again, it's, it's time cut short. It's time that will finish. See, certainly what Daniel has shown, what we're hearing Daniel speak, uh, God speaks through Daniel, is that it's a limited time. And that God has decided how much time. It will finish 
It will come to an end and God has decided when it will come to an end. That's the first thing we're told about the time. But look at the other thing in in verse 7 that, that says about how long. So it will be when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. That's so important. It told Daniel, and it tells us what to expect while we wait. See, the temptation when things go wrong, the temptation when trouble and distress comes, is to give up. The relentless on and onness of hard things in life can wear us down. It can look and fail like it's pointless to be one of God's people, especially when it seems to bring extra trouble and extra shame from those around us. But hearing God say this says that is exactly the time to press on. It's time to double down. It's time to continue to go all in with God our Father and Jesus our Savior who is raised from the dead. Because the Lord Jesus himself will return in glory. The dead in Christ and those who are still alive at his return will be caught up together and enter into the joy of our eternal future with our glorious Savior. When it seems hardest to continue on is exactly when we must double down, continue to go all in. In verse 8, Daniel heard it. He didn't understand. Didn't understand fully anyway. He wants to know more. He asks, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he's told to go his way. The words are shut and sealed, printed and published. He's to get on with life shaped by what he has been told and what he does understand. He knows what he needs to know for the time he lives in. It's time for what he was, it's, it's the time for what he was told in the middle section of the vision, chapter 11. It's time for the wise to stand firm and act. It's time for the wise to be refined, purified, and made white. So verse 10, the Lord's people will be refined, purified, and made white. The times of trouble and hardship and persecution are far from pointless. God has a purpose. They are the very circumstances in which wisdom is expressed. The wise understand. They recognize hardship and difficulty and opposition as purifying trial, not permanent desertion. It's enough for them to know that the hand that leans heavily upon them is God's hand. They keep trusting God to care for them through the trial and trouble and trust him to deliver them in the end. So it goes for the wise who hear what God speaks and trust God who speaks it. Tragically, though, as they trust, verse 10, there are also those, the wicked, who will act wickedly. They, they do what they do, untroubled, unblessed, unaware that their last opportunity for repentance is passing. The contrast there 
And the contrast between wise and foolish, God's people and those who reject him, the contrast is there to encourage Daniel to keep choosing wisdom, to encourage Daniel's readers to keep choosing wisdom. It's there to encourage us to keep trusting God to care for us through trials and troubles of life and to trust him to deliver us in the end. Verse 13 mentions um, the abomination that makes desolate, the horrible thing that devastates. That's a phrase that Jesus uses um, near the end of Mark's gospel. Uh, For reasons I've gone into when I preached in Mark 13, go look up the talk if you like on the podcast, um, that the abomination that makes desolate is either the destruction of the temple in 70 AD or it's actually Jesus' own crucifixion. Uh, which I, I think fits the bill as the most abominable and horrible event of human history. The event that makes the Jerusalem temple and its regular burnt offering completely irrelevant from then on in, in, in salvation history. That's the abomination that desolates. So with that in mind, look at verse 11. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So, that means we're somewhere in those 1,335 days. Yeah? I know that's a lot more than 1,335 days since uh, Jesus was crucified or even since the Jerusalem temple was destroyed 40 years later. But like most of the numbers in... This style of writing in the Bible, the numbers are symbolic. Possibly symbolic of the time between uh, between that abomination that makes desolate uh, and the end, being time which is a lot like the three and a half years or so that Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted God's people in Israel. Possibly that's... Uh, perhaps, though, not symbolic of much more than the fact that God has set the number of them and that they will end. God determines the times. The time we are in is not a time that will last forever. It will not always be like this. Now, it will be longer than expected, that kind of plus 45. The, the days stretch out longer. But it's a time... But the time that we are in is set by God. It will come to an end, longer than expected, but come to an end when God has determined it. And verse 12, verse 12, the blessing is for those who wait until the end. The blessing is for those who keep waiting longer than than we expected to have to wait, continuing to trust God. Which brings us to the last verse, which is spoken personally to Daniel. He didn't understand everything, but he did understand enough to live for God's glory in his time. He knows enough to wait and trust, so he's told, go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel is told to continue to trust, to live his life trusting God who's spoken to him. He'll rest, he'll sleep, he'll die. And he will awake from the dust. And he will stand and he will shine. The same promise uh, comes to all who trust the Lord Jesus 
the son of man whom Daniel spoke about. We will sleep, we will awake from the dust, we will stand and we will shine. God maps the present for us um, so that we can know how to live in this time. God maps the future for us so that we can know how to live in the meantime. So that we'll see what sort of people we ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Over and over, Daniel shows us that God rules now and always. We we saw the highest humans of his day discover that their great achievements were given to them by the living and true God. We saw God humble them. We saw Nebuchadnezzar turn in trust. We saw Belshazzar fall in judgment. The book shows us the truth that God rules now and always. He rules and controls the sweep of history. He rules and controls the tiny details of our lives. He cares for his precious people. He delivers many from the threat, from threat and disaster. He refines his people through threat and disaster. He will raise all his people from death to eternal glory. God rules now and always. When we see him clearly, it sends us to Jesus as the only Savior. It sends us to Jesus because only he can deliver us from death and judgment. When we see him clearly, it gives us reason to live with confident trust in his affectionate care, even through the most troubling of times. When we see him clearly, it gives us reason to persevere, to keep going when things are hard. When we see him clearly, it gives us reason to keep going when being among his people puts extra pressure on us, brings us extra trouble. When we see him clearly, it gives us words to speak to one another as we walk together through the trials and difficulties of life. That's got to be one aspect of uh, the turning many to righteousness in verse 3. Reminding God's people to stand firm and take action. To keep holding firmly to Jesus. To keep living to please and honor him in righteousness. While we wait for his glorious appearing. Of course there's another aspect too. (laughs) More like what Daniel saw God do through him. Uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, uh, turning an unrighteous man who was not one of God's people to know and trust the living and true God. One vital reason God reveals what will be to those who are already ready for the final day is so that we can call those who are not ready to make due preparations. We all know people whose resurrection will be to shame and everlasting contempt if nothing changes. God himself says he does not delight in the death of the wicked. His delight is to see them turn and live. Paul's head and heart were tuned to the reality of the coming judgment when he wrote, 
I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish of heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He longed to see them turn and live. May our Father tune our heads and hearts to what he reveals. So we share the same longing. Our privilege and responsibility in a city with so many men, women, and children who are unprepared for the resurrection day is to tell them the gospel that saves. And to tell them the gospel that saves with a prayer that God our Father will give them to his Son for their eternal good and for his great glory. They are all immortal and Jesus is the only Savior. So let's prayerfully speak God's word to them. We're all immortal and Jesus is the only Savior, so let's prayerfully speak God's word to one another with the prayer that he'll work through the word that we speak to tune our heads, hearts, and lives to the eternal realities that he reveals to us. Let's cling to Jesus and confidently trust him to care for us through whatever lies ahead while we wait for the glorious day. For we trust in the God who rules now and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal things to us that we would not know if you did not reveal them. Father, we thank you that you, the God to whom we owe um, thanks and honor and praise, have brought forgiveness uh, through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness for our failure to thank and honor you. Forgiveness for all who turn in trust to Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the uh, way in which you reveal what we can expect in this time while we wait for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus. That this time is one where there is generally trouble and difficulty, but extra trouble and difficulty for your people uh, so often. Father, please do, uh, as we face such things, as we, they can threaten to wear us down, please do remind us of your word. Please use us to remind one another of your word that we would press on, that we would press on confident that rather than uh, knowing you against us, that you are for us that you're able to work through such things to form, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to remake us. Uh, to and Father, please, uh, please do help us to see uh, not just one another, but to see all of those you've placed us among as people who desperately need Jesus, people who uh, will be raised either to everlasting life or to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, Please do use that uh, to make us prayerful and to make us bold, that on our own, that in partnership with one another, we'd prayerfully proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And please do give us the joy of seeing you give those to whom we speak 
to your Son for their great good and for Christ's great glory. That's in him that we pray. Amen.